Welcome everybody to another episode of Hot Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. I am Ian, and I can't currently come up with something that I am. Joining me is somebody else named John. Guten Tag. And roommate Mike is back with us again. Hello! Talking about The Mandalorian today. So last time we got together, we talked about the first two episodes. Today we're going to go through episodes three, four, and four. Five. I kind of like the way we did it last time, where we just kind of went over the general episode and then talked about each one. Once we come to the end, if we've got anything to add on top of that, we'll, we'll, we'll do so. So, uh, let's just dive right into it, much like uh, much like our friend the Mandalorian. Explain <sighs> that. No, 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 explain <laughs> that. Uh, I was actually trying to think of a different sentence, and that's what came out before my brain stopped working. That was a well, well-crafted response. Ugh. Poignant, and... Did you just say poignant? Poignant. I'm pronouncing think, all the I letters. I think it was just something to get away from the fact that he doesn't want to explain what he had just right. said. The first episode that we're going to review today is episode number three, which I believe is entitled The Sin. That's correct. This is also correct. This one directed by Deborah Chow. Oh, cool. And Deborah Chow, as far as we know at this point, uh, helming the Obi-Wan series. John, why don't you give me a lowdown on The Sin, the episode of Mandalorian, not the general concept. I just, uh, so I'm on the Wikipedia so I can see who directed and who wrote uh, these particular episodes. Sure. And it looks like this episode was released on November 22nd. Which means we haven't talked about this since my birthday. That was months ago. Mm. I had I did not realize how far behind all this we were. We are very, very <laughs> behind. All right. Um, in, in our defense, in November, we had the Sabre tournament. And then holidays happened after that. So we just like went full downhill. Right. And then, event, and then we and had then to do... media blackout for Rise of yeah, Skywalker. Yeah, we had to do Rise of Skywalker, so... This is the one where uh, where the, the Mandalorian finally delivers his bounty. He gets some good prizes, some good loots, as our, our D&D friends might say. But alas, are the loots worth it? At what cost? He, he says to himself, and uh, not those words, and mostly in his mind and in his helmet, and decides to break the guild code and get the... Uh, child thing who is older than him. Correct. I mean, yeah, that, consequences. That, that was actually something I was thinking about on the way over here. Wow. Episodes three and five can really be explained in like two sentences. Yeah, there was, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of setup to what happened and, and then supplanted with a lot of action, um, which doesn't really need to be explained all that much. So. Sure. Um, yeah, the plot of it is very, very simple compared to most of the other episodes. Um, but that doesn't take away from its importance or its, yeah. you know, quality. Just going a little deeper on that, we have, uh, the Mandalorian gets a guilty conscience about this kid that he's turned into the Empire, starts asking questions, and then makes a decision to go rescue him. Invades the Imperial Outpost, takes on a bunch of stormtroopers, and tries to get away, get away with the kid. Every bounty hunter on the planet, their fobs start working. 
and they all come after him. He is aided in his escape by the the Mandalorian clan that was hiding. So let's talk about uh, what you guys thought of the episode. What stood out to you? Like I said earlier, it's pretty is a pretty simple storyline, but there were a lot of like small moments that I thought really stood out. In particular, the scene after the Mandalorian gets his bounty or whatever. He gets takes take us to the armorer, and their dialogue I thought was really strong. Some of my favorite lines in the whole show were from that scene. Uh, in particular, it was it was a Mandalorian saying why he couldn't take on the sigil or whatever, mm-hmm. and then it was because he was helped by an enemy. And I thought that was a really interesting like way to describe what he was talking about. Was it that he's trying to keep a secret? Was it that he's just kind of fumbling over the words? Was it... uh, It could have been any different ways, but I thought the way he phrased that and then the follow-up line was, my enemy didn't know he was my enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I really loved those lines. I thought it was really well written throughout the entire episode, but that one just kind of really stuck with me, and I just kept coming back to it whenever I thought about it. Outside of that, I just thought it flowed really well. One of my complaints about the first two episodes were the music took away a lot of the feeling uh, because it it was so epic that it took you along the journey and then the rest of it just kind of happened, whereas the music really flowed into the storyline in this episode. It was kind of a little bit more toned down, um, and I appreciated that. Outside of that, the one small gripe I had was this is the episode that really enforced that this is going to be the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda show. Mm-hmm. I was really, I was almost hopeful after the second episode that maybe Baby Yoda isn't going to be an overarching theme throughout the entire series. And this one just kind of stuck with me as like, you know, he he turned in this bounty, he started asking questions, he, um, and then he goes about changing his entire life and what he stands for because he wants to save this thing that was his former bounty. Hmm. I'm not saying that's bad. It's I'm just saying that it wasn't the direction that I thought they were going to take the series. Um, so at, at this point, I'm like, okay, now it's this show that I'm watching instead. I can go ahead and appreciate this show as opposed to the show I was expecting. So sure. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. I'm just saying it's a different thing. So, yeah. And that's cool. How about you, John? What are your notes on this episode? Mm, my notes, my notes, my non-existent notes. I don't know why I sang that. Your uh, your <laughs> kingdom for some notes. My kingdom for some notes. <laughs> my kingdom is this desk with a computer. Oh, it's not my desk. I I agree uh, for the most part with Mike and what you were saying about how this episode and the fifth episode can kind of easily be wrapped up in like one sentence. Mm. It it kind of sets up everything that the rest of the series was. Gonna... One and two were kind of introducing us to the world and the character. This one started the show, I think, in mm-hmm. my opinion, right? Yeah, yeah that, that sounds good. Sense. Yeah. Um, I watched it a couple times at work today on a very small screen, so I was mostly focusing on some of the, the smaller bits in the background that maybe I didn't notice. I figured you guys would talk about the bigger things, and then I would talk about how the Beskar was delivered in an ice cream maker. Yep. As this weird random prop from Empire Strikes Back that now has a cult following in celebration that... We need to get our Will Row Hood costumes started uh, because I want to participate in the running of the hoods. You, you really just need an orange jumpsuit and a wig and an ice cream maker oh, or a toaster. You, any mod- random handheld appliance, really. We'll modify your Star Tours one. Uh, you just wear a mustache. We have to make the Star Tours <laughs> one first. <laughs> we have till August. Secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was kind of small things like that. The um, 
nostalgia trip fanboy appeasing things that that didn't really draw attention or pull focus from the actual story which i know disney has been having a hard time finding the balance of when do we do full-on fan service and when do we do subtle fan service yeah or how to really kind of bridge that and i think i think favreau and that team is really doing a good job of of limiting it and uh, displaying it in a in a sensible way sure and Um, and with that you got to keep in mind you know favreau has all this experience with learning that lesson in in marvel right um, cause not only seen it. <laughs> is he involved in, you know, the, the, the Disney Marvel side of things, but he was cutting his teeth on that stuff when superhero movies were just starting to become a thing. Right. And then Dave Filoni too, as Clone Wars went on and Rebels went on, he, he knows the balance and, and how to do that. So it's always a balance. Yes. Star a... Wars. <laughs> balance. Um, you doing okay there? That was supposed not to be a Yoda. Yoda. Um, Ooh, not Baby Yoda. Anyway, what else you got? Yeah, um, one thing I was a little bummed at and excited for at the same time is we we got to see at the end all the Mandos in action, yeah. which is kind of cool that they're they're coming out of hiding. We actually get to see the Mandalorians be efficient wearers of Mandalorian armor, unlike the last couple Mandalorian armor wearing people in Star Wars in the live action. Hmm. Uh, it's cool to see jetpacks being used for more than just being thrown into a the side of a sail barge. Yeah, being effective. The thing that bummed me out about it is they mention when they come to fight that they're going to have to find a new place to live, which means that we're probably not going to see as much of that Mandal- that particular enclave's uh, culture. And it wouldn't have mattered since the Mandalorian was going on the run anyway. Well, but, and, and later down the line, we kind of see what happened to some of the clan. Right. They didn't necessarily make it off world. Exactly. Yeah. And I was kind of interested to see more of that Mandalorian culture explored, but we're probably going to get that with uh, the last season of the Clone Wars coming up. Like a lot more of uh, what, what they do. Well, what's really interesting about that Mandalorian culture, here here I am playing my, my, my lore nerd card. Are you really Mando explaining this? Yeah, I'm Mando explaining. Wow. No, well, uh, Can I get a high five. For anyone? Just, no, anyone? no one. All right, not. I'm just bringing. The uh, uh, one thing I want to point out is that Mandalorian culture, as it's been presented in both you know Legends and the new stuff, is a continuously evolving thing. We go from the clan system of old, where they had all these numbers and powers, and were powerful enough to take on the republic at one point in the pre knights of the old republic era to them forgoing all that and becoming a peace-loving society in the clone wars and then through clone wars and rebels getting their warrior culture back and now there are subtle differences in the way that they have to now survive and that's changed their culture some so the thing that's really cool to me is that this series is not only giving us answers to what is Mandalorian culture like now? It's also exploring what it was and how it transformed. That's something that's really interesting all around. I do have a gripe about the jetpacks. How slow they are? They they just seem uh, I don't know something about the way they shot them in live action. They just don't seem very. Well, it's, it's all wire work. I know, and, and just, so wire work just never looks natural. It it looks really odd and weird. And they did the uh, Django was pretty good. With his jetpack stuff in Attack of the Clones, which I thought was cool. But uh and there are some there's some great 
scenes in that final battle in this episode with the Mandalorians coming down where they land and then they pull out two guns. The one guy fires a pistol and just casually launches a rocket from his wrist and some other guys. And it's these really, really cool, awesome sort of like moments with them that are just taken down a notch with them just kind of around in the sky i i hope i hope that they can do something with the jetpack stuff later on and they did do do a, a better job with it i think at the end of this series and we'll talk about that when we get season. to it yeah the season uh i agree with you mike it really is what set up the the baby yoda show you know i i guess they knew what they had when they when they started going through this which you know uh, i also didn't expect them to go that direction yeah, that's that's really all I have for this episode. I, I really liked the action. I enjoyed how they introduced subtle concepts like the whistling birds. I liked the confrontation between Heavy Mando and Mandalorian. I liked that the, the weaponsmith just stood there and was like, oh, whatever. She wasn't concerned about it. And I think that's just part of that culture. But it could be uh, I'm reading, I'm, I'm applying too much Klingon culture to the Mandalorians where I think you're they're, right, they're expected to fight each other. Yeah. But even enemies that brawl each other in a bar on a neutral city, they'll brawl each other. But at the end, they'll buy each other a drink because they, they yeah. fought back. I'm going to take a punch and then uh, we're going to go get drinks. Yeah. I did really like the knives that they were fighting with were subtly vibrating. So they were vibro knives, which is a thing we have not seen in live action. I don't believe. Uh, anything uh, else on, on episode three of The Sin, you guys, before you we move on? Shooting. Oh, um, Carl Weathers. What's his name? Um, Carl Weathers, yeah. Thank you. Yep, <laughs> Carl Weathers. You got it. Yep. There's a part in it where when he, when the Mando goes to pick up his, uh, or goes to pick up some more bounty pucks, yep. where he pulls out a piece of Beskar and he's like, yeah, you, this worked out for me too. Like, yep. I got some Beskar too, and he puts it back in his vest pocket or shirt pocket and at the end of that episode the mando shoots him in the chest yeah, very He's deliberately like, looking yeah well that's what that's what i thought like afterwards yeah. when when he's like wakes up on the ground and he pulls out that piece of beskar and now has a, a blaster scar in it i that made me wonder if he did that uh, at the time if he did that on purpose without going into future episodes I, I was thinking about that too on the rewatch and mm. i was watching like he specifically he doesn't fire at Car carl weathers in any other time during that firefight we're he gonna learn at, this guy's name at some point yeah he <laughs> fires at other stuff to to make the 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 carbonite mist go he doesn't like rapid fire at carl weathers it's yeah. just one direct boom aim flick shot so it it, it looks upon rewatch very deliberate yeah that's all i got cool i think Cuckoo? Cuckoo, mm -hmm. cuckoo, cuckoo. Anything about Baby Yoda? I mean, he... Oh, oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons of stuff about Baby Yoda. Well, yeah, there is, but... First off, it's cute. Still cute. <laughs> nice. Can't confirm. I want to know what <laughs> happens to the Doctor, because Mando lets him go, but I don't recall seeing him when we go back to that area, so he either died or got away, and I am very interested in that guy's, like, motivations. Mm. He was wearing a very similar outfit to what the uh, the scientists and engineers on Camino, uh, not Camino, and Rogue One. Oh, uh, the rainy planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all the Death Star engineers were wearing and he kind did of similar colors and looks. There was something about him that they translated, and it was Camino related. Oh, really? Related? I don't. Remember. Oh, yo, no, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that because yeah. um, there's all those rumors that they're trying to clone him. Yeah. Don't. Cloners. Cloners. 
Oh, it depends um, on yeah, how so good I, your manners are and how big your So, you know, that adds another, like, level of mystery. Like, if you weren't, even, like, if you if you knew how to translate the Arabesh. Yeah. Like, oh, I wonder what this guy with cloning background wants with the baby Yoda. Yeah. And when the Mando's kind of overhearing and spying on, on them, the scientist is very uneasy about what the boss guy says. Uh, about Werner Herzog. Yeah, like, I can't remember anyone's name in the show. Apparently, no, I can't um, either. That's why I'm I think it's because the main Weathers character doesn't Herzog. have a name. Well, he has a name, but we just get, everyone calls him Mando. I only know that because I have IMDb pulled up all the whole time. Thanks. Well, <laughs> thank, thank you, Mike. Yeah, Thanks for help. Uh, Werner Herzog doesn't even have a name. It's just the client. Okay, all right. There so you go. the client. Yeah, uh, you can hear him over the over the the radio saying to for the scientist to do his work and then get rid of the child. And the scientist saying that's that's not what the boss said, and Werner Herzog going, yeah, just do it. Yeah, just you know. Who's Carl Weathers, by the way? Grief Carga. Carga, that's yeah, right. Yeah, grief. I Get wanted grief. to say cargo, and I was like, I yeah. know that's not right. Almost there. Uh, my thought about that scene was, what if Baby Yoda's life would have been better had he not been rescued by Mando? Werner Herzog was going to kill him. We yeah. don't know that. <laughs> well, he said, he take that... the sample and dispose of the child. Right. Or dispose that of... doesn't mean he was going to actually die. I, I think we can make a little bit of an assumption mm. there. I feel like we're... Uh, Making some I think sentence. the Mandalorian didn't think this one through. <laughs> He's not a father figure. He's not ready to... to... <laughs> Well, he doesn't want to, to be help like his dad. A baby Yoda grow up right now. He doesn't want to abandon his boy. Well, he sold him already, so. Oh, that's fair. And then yeah. he stole him back. <laughs> that's that's such a rude, perfect crime. <laughs> basically, all of our D and D games. So uh, let's let's uh, let's move on then to mm-hmm. to the next episode, which is entitled Sanctuary. 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 This one directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, the franchise killer. What does that what, mean? Why would you say that? Again? I don't know. That's so rude. It's some joke that I have, and I can't remember the source. There's no joke. That's There's... just really rude to say. No, come on, Ian. I can't believe you've done this. You can't. You no. This is not okay. <laughs> They're ganging up on me. This is a regular right, in joke we have. You know I'm, what? Who? We're, I, we're ganging up on you just like those kids ganged up on Baby Yoda for wow. eating a frog. Yeah. Right? That was super rude. You laughed at frogs are delicious. <laughs> Don't shame Baby Yoda for liking to eat frogs. I, I'm going to go back to the franchise killer thing to kind of explain this. Um, so at some point in my past, I heard somebody refer to Bryce Dallas Howard as the franchise killer. And this is like 10 years ago. And I have no idea what it was about or no idea why. But that name has stuck in my brain when I see her name. Yeah, and it's infected the rest of us. And I have it doesn't mean anything. I, yeah, no. nothing. I have no opinions, bad or good, about Bryce Dallas Howard. No, I just that particular nickname is just stuck in my brain. Please forgive us, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard. You've directed a Star Wars, which is more than I have done. Exactly, so or better than me. Now, this episode—it's it, kind of funny because. A lot of people didn't like this one as much, from what I see online. I really enjoyed it, and I wonder if it's because it has a, a very uh, tropey sort of like D and D adventure story right. like line through it. Yeah, and I love that kind of stuff. So 
I really, really enjoyed this episode. I also think it's because it feels like a one-off. Yeah. Like, the first three episodes flowed really well. I, I, I saw one of the opinions that was really strong was the first three episodes could have been a movie. Sure. Yeah. And the, the fourth one with the Sanctuary episode, it felt super disjointed from the first three episodes not that it didn't feel like it flowed it was just the the feeling was super different the yeah. the look was super different it um the pacing was super different so yeah. it was just it was super unique compared to what we'd seen before and i and i agree with that but that's also kind of what you you can you can do that with mm-hmm. a series yeah it's okay to not yeah. Watch the same episode over and over again. Yeah. So, in this episode, the Mandalorian, he, he's gotten on a ship, and he needs to find a place to lay low with the baby Zyotas, and he finds this planet that's, like, kind of off the grid, no metropolitan areas, it's all, like, loggers and shrimp farmers, but the shrimp is used to brew beer, it's very strange. And he's looking around for shelter, trying to figure out what it is, goes into this bar, sees another sketchy looking uh, individual there who uh turns out that this individual is Cara Dune and she is a ex rebel drop shock trooper shock trooper drop trooper everybody hop trooper and she's laying low for similar reasons people are after her mando decides well this planet's taken so i might as well move on where he's confronted by uh two beer shrimp farmers who tell him, hey, we've got these raiders, can you please help us? And he's like, nah. They're like, oh, now we have to go back to the middle of nowhere. And he's like, did you say middle of nowhere? I'll help you if I can stay in the middle of nowhere. That's the thing that he wants. Yep. That's crazy. Um, and, and to preface this, we, we did actually see the raid in the opening of the episode where they have a, a large, friendly, modified ATST and... Once Cara Dune and the Mandalorian figure this out, they're like, uh, no, why would you have us fight this? Mando shows his soft spot again and is like, hey, okay, if we can teach them to fight, come up with a plan, do a trap. Commence training montage. Uh, I love it so much, and I know why people don't, but I had a good time with it. And we had the confrontation with the ATST and the Raiders. It went well. There's a line of dialogue afterwards where they're like, hey, yeah, we brought a lot of heat a couple weeks ago. So there was actually like a month of time skip between when they fought it and the end of the episode. Mandalorian considers leaving Baby Yoda there. Bounty Hunter shows up. Cara Dune kills him. And then Mando figures that they have to move on. So, that's the overarching plot of that one. Let's go to John first. Oh, I am John. Uh, I'm glad that didn't change in the brief... I I, I like this uh, episode. As somebody that watches a lot of Star Trek and other sci-fi shows that have 30 plus episodes a season, you get these episodes every now and then. It did kind of feel strange that a limited episode season would have a slower episode like that in this but Ian I I agree with you that I think it helps with the story a lot more with this um I think uh and when I first saw it I thought this that if every episode was just more and more action they're eventually going to reach a part where there's that's it like they can't go any more action without it becoming stale yeah the which is sad when action becomes stale you just get bored with it and then this shows a, a different side of the Mandalorian and a, a more tactical side of him uh, that we you wouldn't get with just straight fist fights. Uh, I like I like the introduction. Introduction? That's a yep, word. That's introduction, a introduction of, of, of Cara Dune. <laughs> I like that she is a ex-Rebel drop. drop now you've got me doing it. <laughs> uh, ex-Rebel drop 
Dropper. Just call her Dropper. Yeah, I'll go Dropper. Man, I keep wanting to say, like, Shock Trooper and dro- Drop Trooper. Shock, shock Drop Trooper. Shock, shock Drop Trooper. Trooper. Uh, Roll trooper. <laughs> <laughs> because it helps uh, continue my belief that uh, the rebels were all just bad people and terrorists uh, defying the rightfully appointed government. It, it mentions that she doesn't want to go back to New Republic space because they'd probably arrest her for the things that the people that set up the New Republic had her do, mm. uh, which I thought was very interesting, where the New Republic is acknowledging that there were factions or things that they did that were probably not in the best, the best, just the best at all. And so now they're trying to like sweep them under the carpet. So I thought that was interesting, uh, an interesting aspect. And... I'm glad that we got to see her again down the line. A thing I was thinking about on the way home is is, uh, Ian and I watch The Good Place a lot. And one of our favorite Jason Mendoza friends, uh, Pillboy, is the main character. I could not not see Pillboy. Yeah, me neither. He's He's a main secondary character. He's... One of the two that goes to find the Mandalorian, yeah, and he gets some he gets some one off shots uh, during the training montage where he doesn't know how to use a spear. Yeah, Cara Dune has to like show him how to use the pointy end. Yeah, legit, um, like takes the stick and, and turns it around. This this the thing that I was thinking about on the way home was right now with Disney in control of the, a a younger demographic being kind of targeted for the movies and some of the fran- other franchise media bits. There's a lot of talk of inclusion and diversity in Star Wars. And as a questionable Filipino, it's always kind of weird to see other Filipinos in it. Because I think we got we got Rufio from Hook. And, like, we don't need it anymore. Like, we got Rufio. We got Dante Basco. We got yeah, Rufio. Same person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a continuing sentence. You've got, you've got Jason Mendoza from The Good Place. Uh, he's a, Barely. He's, yeah, he's not that smart. Uh, we don't want him. We want Rufio. We want, we want Prince Zuko. We, uh, that's it. That's all we need is Dante Basket. Dante Basket, thank you for all well, that you do. Well, now you get secondary fish. I don't actually know fit, if Pillboy's Filipino. I couldn't find anything about uh, the actor Stephen Pelez. Hmm. Pelez? I don't know. It's hard to pronounce. Stephen. I don't know Filipino. how to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so raised by Danish people. Leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> but... And that's one of the, I mean, keep going on that track. It's kind of cool to see that in, in The Mandalorian is that there's far more diversity in the show than in, like, the original trilogy. And not just being background characters. Right. Being up in the forefront. We have Cara Dune being a badass woman, fighter, warrior, who they don't just have her there is kind of like, okay... This is our drop-in female character. Yeah, she's and not a token. Won't be their back. Yeah, she's um, not token female badass. She is a female badass that happens to be in this episode, and then there are others. Yeah, you know? and so she's a character. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to see more of her going down the line. Yeah, because um, she's she's a cool character with an equally cool backstory. To That's uh, everything you just said is why I dropped a little bit extra cash to get her Black Series figure nice. when we were at Frankenstein's because I'm like. She's I, rad. If I if I really like a character, I'm willing to drop a little bit more for if the figure's harder to find. So, she's awesome. I also like her because she, when she was talking, when she was fighting, she reminds me of a woman at our saber class, yeah. uh, Marina, who's also a cosplayer, who won a set of Mandalorian armor at the last tournament we went to. All I want to do is get together with her to make a Cara Dune costume because I think... They have very similar personalities. When when I took the figure out of the box, it looks even more like right? Marina. It looks like and Marina. And so I sent her a picture of it. I was just like, looks even more like you <laughs> in toy form. Just saying. 
Yeah, also ATSDs. I'm always a big fan of seeing those. So Imperial Walker is number one, and that's it. Yep. Two yeah. legs good, four legs better. I learned that from Animal Farm, and that applies to oh, Imperial yeah. Walkers. You're applying Animal Farm <laughs> to anything. <laughs> you, you, that's your mistake. Two legs good, four legs... No, no, four legs good, two legs bad. I'm just but saying, John, Two legs also good. I'm just saying, like, you know, ATSTs, they're supposed to be these... These imposing Mm -hmm. war machines, and uh, they fall to vines and logs, rocks, large uh, holes. Yeah, very small China. A a pond (laughs) (laughs) in this particular episode. Yeah, very very imposing. Two legs bad, four legs good. Uh, yeah, I guess. Got a- that? ATTEs and the Clone Wars? I, I really don't want to be known as legs. that one podcast that referenced Animal Farm and their, uh... <laughs> don't you? That make that puts us on another level of literary genius. Well, Mike, uh, you're my new co-host now, <laughs> right. because, uh, we're gonna send John to the glue factory. Uh... <laughs> what do you got, Mike? Um... I was a little worried when I first saw this episode that this was going to be a one-off and basically almost nothing of consequence happened besides, like, developing a little bit of character. Um, but because we end up seeing Cara Dune later and we really developed her here and developed, you know, we kept seeing her after that, I thought because of that, it it didn't feel like a waste of an episode to me, um, especially when there's only eight episodes in the season. Sure. Um, so I was appreciative of that after the fact that we saw her come back. Also, uh, Gina Carano is Cara Dune, which is rad. I watched her in the reboot of American Gladiators. Oh, dang. I also watched her when I was an MMA fan because she's an MMA fighter. Yeah. So, um, she was in Deadpool too, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's really rad, and I was super stoked that she's in a Star Wars thing that I can follow and watch. So, uh, big ups to that. The thing I like about that is that she's also super stoked to be in Star Wars. Like, if you've seen any of the interviews that they have with her, she's just so happy cool. to be a part of it, and yeah. it's amazing. Um, I also like her character specifically because of her ability to like put the Mandalorian in check. Yeah, it's like he she can take over a scene with him in it. We uh, we didn't really get that in the third episode. I thought that was a really important character that, like, Nick Nolte's character played in the first two. Right. Um, that the Mandalorian has a lot to learn, obviously. And, uh, and it's he's still really new to not only what he's doing, but he's in a new situation now, too. Right. Um, so I think it's really important for him to surround himself with uh, people that he can both learn from and uh, kind of put him in check when he's not really the the end-all be-all. And so I thought this character was a perfect way to do that and put a face on it, too. It's not, not an alien. It's not somebody with a mask. It's someone with a face that you can see her emotions. Right. So I thought that was really cool. Other than that, the episode felt like three media tropes just pasted into one episode, just overlapping with one another. Not to say that's bad. It was yeah. just... It was super different from what we were seeing, and I appreciated that. It was almost like a breath of fresh air. You saw all of this green around you. You saw you saw water. You saw different people that weren't just covered in either grime. Uh, it was it was people of the earth instead. And yeah. so I thought that was really cool to kind of get out into the world as opposed to just the inner place that we were or in space. So yeah. I thought that was really cool and a good way to 
it was a cool character development episode and that's my favorite thing about anything in media is is i want to see characters develop i want to see dialogue between two people and and this was chock full of that between mando and cara dune and then mando and then the the lead lady yeah uh, i don't know what her name was Amara. Uh, I, I just looked it up yeah uh but i thought she was really good at uh, playing on the emotions when Mando can't show his emotions, but you can tell in his voice that he wants mm-hmm. to, she almost carries that for the the two of them together. Yeah, I and I thought that was one of the strongest like acting jobs of the show that I saw was her performance in this one episode. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna jump on that point real quick. Um, I, I read an article somewhere, and I don't know if it's 100% true, but the Pedro Pascal said that he had never met Bryce Dallas Howard. Because this episode that she directed, um, he was actually auditioning for a role in King Lear and the stage production of King Lear. So this kind of attributes to his body double or stunt of whoever wears the armor when he's not there. That, you like like Mike said, he can't say something sometimes, or you can't see it on him because you know he's fully armored. But I think I think they do a really good job of having whoever's in that Mandalorian suit being able to still express emotions that normally as humans we need to see on a face but just in their body language you can say like you could see that there was a lot of struggle in the Mandalorian not just when he uh, was talking between like what he needs to do here or if like maybe he could just stay here with uh, with that woman because um, you can kind of see that he wants to yeah but he has obligations he has his cultural obligations he has his obligations to the child. Um, so I just thought that was I thought was really cool. And on your point, this is actually something that really frustrates me about the the industry as a whole. And Star Wars really should know better by this point, especially since they have people who are known exclusively for their body work, whether it's in an alien suit with with Eunice uh, now taking over Chewbacca or Peter Mayhew going back to sort of like the mistakes of we gave Jar Jar so much crap, but really the Ahmed best was such a, you know, whether or not we don't like the character, the, the work he put into that character as a motion capture artist is one thing. It frustrates me that Pedro Pascal is, you know, I, I understand he's the, he's the Mandalorian. He's the guy that they cast, but by some reports he wasn't in the suit for like 80% of the shots and when you're playing a masked character, a helmeted character, a character in a creature suit, everything that you do comes across in in the subtle movements, you know? James Earl Jones made Darth Vader with that voice, but you would you also needed, you know, David Prowse or whoever else was in the suit to make that character come to life. So I really wish that they would give at least equal billing to these character actors and it's just it's star wars especially should should be on top of this by now considering how many people made their name doing that kind of work back to the episode itself yeah i pretty much agree with everything you guys said one thing that caught me was the mandalorian he doesn't need to be a hard ass or a badass all the time he might be on edge and be paranoid but if you listen to the way he talks to these people in this show yeah sometimes he's a little naive about it but he's usually always polite he shows gratitude towards them even though he's the one who's supposed to be there to protect them i like seeing that softer side and i think that really helps develop his relationship with the child as we see it develop throughout the series um the action was good 
in this episode. Again, very tropey. I, I agree with you. Very tropey. But, uh... The training montage was just so oh, good, though. Oh, yeah. As someone that grew up on sports movies, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good training montage. I... I when they were when they had the the spears and the stick training, the only thing that was going through my head was "Let's get down to business." Mm-hmm. Oh, and the the child actor uh, uh, in this one too that that played the daughter, uh, I think she did a very good job. She was very emotive and expressive, especially because she was working off of a a puppet. Right, that's what made it the most impressive to me. I think she did a fantastic job. What what, what do we have her name? Winta. Winta. Good job, kid. Hmm. Thank you for being a valued listener. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you're totally listening to this. Huh. Oh, if you are totally right, you know, send an email. It'd blow my mind. That'd be hilarious. Let's, uh, any last minute things on this episode? Uh, this episode, at the end, the scene where they find out that Baby Yoda's still being tracked. Yeah, the fox. Um, that made me confirm that the Mandalorian isn't really a smart person. Yeah. Um, of course they were tracking him. And why do you think it would be okay to just drop him and leave the kid there? Like, why did you think that was ever going to work out? Playing devil's advocate. Okay. Perhaps he assumed that the rest of the clan mopped up all the hunters with the fobs when he escaped. Okay. That's still a dumb assumption, yeah. but it's an assumption that's understandable. Okay. Also, it's Star Wars, so sometimes things just don't make sense. Yeah. yeah. It this... is fine. Yeah, that's all I want to say. The Mandalorian is not smart. <laughs> <laughs> one, one last thing I want to say about this episode, and I know we were talking about how it is a very different thing than, than the previous episodes, but one thing about Star Wars specifically is that it's great about world building and connecting that world that it's building. And I think this episode really served to do that. Through meeting Cara Dune and talking about her experience as a re- rebel dropper, we get more information about the final days of the Rebellion versus the Empire after the and the formation of the New Republic. Through going and seeing, talking about this backwater planet, we learn how it survives, you know? There's talk about logging, and there's talk about these krill farmer guys. We see that raiders are still a big problem, and they have access to tech. And it actually, you know, those raiders really reminded me of Battle for Endor, almost. Yeah the Ewok movie. And what was also cool was to see these, these they're poor krill farmers, but they also have droids that are there to help and seeing new uses for droids and how they have big old weird legs and start skimming krill out of a pond. So it's, it, this episode did a lot to help reinforce some of that Star Wars world building. Also, there was a loath cat and that was adorable. Moving on to the last episode of the day, which is, of course, entitled... The Gunslinger. The Goonslinger. I didn't rewatch this one because I've seen it three times now, and this is probably the least interesting episode to me. Who wants to take... uh, Mike, uh, let's have you review this one. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you. The Mandalorian was in a firefight in space. Yep. With some guy. I don't remember who or why he, he was there. He had a fob. Okay, that makes sense. But basically he got shot up, uh, didn't die, and landed on some planet to get repairs for his ship. Um, in doing so, he ran into a very sassy lady and some droids that were going to repair his ship. But he said, no droids. No, oh nay nay. 
Um, just you, lady. You repair my ship, which was going to take a while. So he just kind of moseyed into town and went to the bar. And, of course, there were bounty hunters at the bar because this is a bar in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> so he found some guy that was a new bounty hunter. He was on his first bounty. And the guy name is Toro. Yeah, sure. The guy offered him his whole, like, stake in the bounty if, if Mandalorian helped him. Yeah. So he went for it because he needed to repair his ship and he needed money for that. They went after a lady in the desert. A supposedly very badass lady in the yeah. desert. Yeah. Yeah, with a sniper rifle that was just kind of hunkered down for whatever reason. So they just get on some speeders. Yeah, right? (laughs) With a sniper rifle. I mean, who does that? So we get on some speeders. We go into the deep, deep desert. We find some some desert people. Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, Tuscan Raiders. Uh, They stop them, and you pay a little bit to to move along. They're basically the troll under the bridge at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's literally what they did. Uh. Um, So we move right past them. We get to kind of the firefight with the the sniper, and then we have a little bit of a waiting game. They're trying to wait it out. She's trying to get a viewpoint on them and that lasts for a few hours at which point they just kind of rush into it they try to use some uh light shenanigans in order to make sure that they don't get shot at i um, refer to all flares as light shenanigans yeah you're welcome on. you're welcome by the way <laughs> um they get up to her they uh they kind of pin her down and making sure that she's not going anywhere and they need to figure out a way to get back because one of the speeders got knocked yeah, out one of the speeders got blown up so they need to figure out a way to get all three people back mando goes back to find some animal that called a dewback that's the one uh find a dewback to bring them all back uh so (laughs) the bounty hunter and the sniper lady were hanging out together and then she tells the bounty hunter about who mando is pretty much she gives him the lowdown on you know you've been hanging out with some guy that is worth way more than i am that uh, a lot more people want to see either captured or dead and then he, the the new bounty hunter guy takes that information and instead of pairing up with her like it looked like it was going to do he shot her and then took the remaining speeder back into town then we get kind of the face off between mando and uh the bounty hunter at that point mando by some uh clever shenanigans again like shenanigans he shoots the bounty hunter guy down and uh now has enough money to get off the planet with his repaired ship and then we see a guy in spurs yeah. At the end, go up to the, the sniper lady and look at her body and then cut to black. End scene. Thank you. So, well done. Uh, I'll go first on this one because I really don't have a lot to say about this episode. Whereas this one has a similar feel to the last one in that, you know, it doesn't tend to continue too much of where we were in the first two episodes uh, or first three episodes. It... This one felt like it was trying way too hard to be fan servicey because he goes to Tatooine, he's in the Mos Eisley Cantina, and don't get me wrong, I like me some fan service. In fact, my favorite part of this entire episode was when the Mandalorian forces 
his new buddy to uh, give up his binoculars to the sand people. I think that was hilarious, and that was my favorite bit. Otherwise, you know, it was it was really straightforward, like just like you Mike described it, and it was fine. This was probably the weakest episode of all of them for for me. That being said, I still had a good time with it. The guy Doro Toro or whatever Toro, he oozed hayden christensen <laughs> yeah like to the point where i actually thought it was hayden christensen and i've gone on record multiple times saying that i've you seen hate hayden christensen no i've seen hayden christensen <laughs> act in other stuff other than star wars and he's a good actor right. i just think there was some directorial uh, complications there uh yeah he 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 was oozing hayden christensen the good kind and that uh, sounds weird <laughs> Uh, Please don't ooze Hayden Christensen. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, I liked the idea of the 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 bounty hunt, uh, the 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 assassin. I thought that was again cool little bit of world building. People were very upset that she didn't have a bigger role. I I didn't. You play the role. You play the character that you're assigned the role for. I don't get why that was such a big big problem. I mean, I think it's because she's such a big name. Yeah. Um, and she had such a small role, so people were kind of confused by yeah, that. Yeah, I've been watching her since ER, which yeah. feels like a bajillion years ago. So, so. but, uh, you know, uh, would have been cool to see more of her down the line, but, you know, the, she served her purpose. I liked seeing the do-back. Uh, you know, the, this episode was just fun callbacks for, for uh, you know, the deep fanboys yeah. like myself. Um, so I enjoyed that part of it, even if I thought it was the weakest episode. Okay. How about you, John? I thought they did a they they tried to do some weird comedy in this episode. Didn't quite work because all the comedy was kind of based around the new bounty hunter character, the new uh, bounty hunter young guy. But none of it was like really given to the Mandalorian. So it was just kind of this weird like straight man funny guy routine. Uh, My favorite part of that episode was when the when Toro he's um oh those are Tuscan Raiders. I've heard some things about these guys being like jerks and they're like dumb and they're stupid and smelly. And the Mandalorian's like, yeah, why don't you talk to him? He's like, what? And the camera just slightly panned over and there's just two standing there. That was that was yeah. That was probably my favorite visual gag in the series so far. Yeah. Because we've seen what they can do in in the prequels and the original trilogy and they're just like, hey guys, I'm here now. We're here. You guys know what's up. Give us stuff, or we're gonna beat you into the ground with sticks. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't mind at all that they went back to Tatooine, um, just because in these these weird franchises, there's always like one locale that's always always seems to go back to all the time. Yeah. So whatever, that's fine. I thought it was weird that Toro was sitting exactly like Han Solo in Han Solo's booth. I saw that some... was kind of weird. Oh, and wasn't just... there a droid bartender? Uh, there were three droid so, bartenders. So the guy that owned the bar before him didn't serve droids. But is he cool with droids serving people? Uh, I'm pretty sure that guy's dead in a ditch somewhere and the droids have taken over. the droid revolution. Yeah. All right. I like droid revolution. Uh, I like that there were swoops in this. Mike's swoops are yep. the bikes that they flew on. That makes sense. I've loved swoops since I could buy a swoop action figure rider. Swoop, there it is. Swoop. I think it was a mercenary or something from the Shadows of the Empire. Uh, line of Power of the Force figures and the swoop uh, mercenary bounty hunter dude fly around with my Luke and Leia on their speeder bikes. Um, unlike the speeder bikes, the swoop didn't explode when you press a button, but it did shoot a missile, which was a choking missile. Good on you, Hasbro. Fair. I, I kind of saw um, Target's role. Mike, you know her name. I don't know anyone's name. Um, closed her, my her name in the show is Fennec. Fennec Shand. Played by... Uh... Played by... 
Ming Na Wen. Thank yeah. you, thank you, Mike. You're um, welcome. I, I I didn't mind at all that her role was small and short, just because that's the nature of the show. Right. Yep. Um, if she was going to be a more important character, they would have introduced her all a long time ago. There's plenty of cameos from like well-known actors in this show. I didn't see why this should. Be. Yeah. I I understand what, what the anger is with the with what I kind of go with in the last episode with her. They're finally acknowledging a lack of diversity in Star Wars and adding more characters. And I, I think a lot of the outrage was from here's here is a non-Caucasian character. And she's not going to continue on the show. She's not going to be a continued uh, person of representation yeah. on the show. So I can understand that, but sure. I, I'm, I'm like you. I I see the character as a character, yeah, and not so much as a cultural, yeah, sort of thing. Um, not sure where I was going with that. No, I, I get you. Um, this episode also kind of fit in with the last episode where it was kind of a filler episode. There really wasn't much gained or lost. It was kind of just a setup for Guy with Spurs, I, I believe is Moff Gideon down the line. But I know a lot of people don't think that. Well, like, uh, because he wasn't, he wasn't wearing, wearing Spurs. spurs. So, but, like, I what's mean, the people, point? People change clothes all the time. Yeah, but, like, if you're going to make that callback. I, I think it was more of a somebody was showing up to check on this person. And I think people are focusing on the Spurs as opposed to the person. Yeah. But, he's probably riding a mount, and when you ride a living creature mount, you usually wear spurs. But here's when he, you arrive in a TIE fighter, you don't need to wear spurs. But here here's here's the thing about that from a filmmaking perspective, right? From a filmmaking perspective, they, the creators, took the time to pick out the boots with the spurs and then put in, you know, go out, do the foley for the spur noise, make it the most pronounced thing in that entire scene as those guys are going in and focus on the guy's boots. So that was a choice that either, if we're going with it isn't Moff Gideon, uh, is yet to be a revelation in any way, shape, or form, or if it is Moff Gideon, had way too much effort put into something that did not matter. Or, or it's a misdirection or a subversion of your expectations. Boom. I solved it. Too much work. But, yeah, so... What else? What else? What else? I like that there was probe droids, or not probe droids, but the uh, pit droids. Yep. Yep. Pit droids. Um, I, I'm enjoying the something I'm really enjoying about the show overall is the callbacks to prequel technology or prequel things. Yep. That we really didn't see a ton of in the sequel trilogy. So yeah, we're getting. We saw some in Babu Frick's workshop. How dare you? <laughs> so I think I, I'm really enjoying that seeing like the the live action of those those coming back. Uh, yeah. Again. Uh, but yeah, I don't really think I have much else on that particular episode. Um, I thought it was just kind of weird that I'm gonna go help a guy get into the club that I just blew up. Uh, and <laughs> eh, money's money, man. Yeah, I guess he needed uh, money for a ship. Oh, and I, I and he's, what other jobs is he? And he also specifically said he for. wasn't necessarily looking for guild, uh, guild work, guild work. So. I, I did really enjoy that the woman that runs the uh, the docking bay. Had very like seventies or early eighties hair, like just an amazing perm. I didn't. That it really to me, the the Star Wars is really set in like a, future seventies time. Yeah, future seventies. Yeah. And so to see kind of like a callback still there in wardrobe, kind of made me happy. The when I first watched this episode, 
I didn't like her character because in my brain she didn't feel Star Warsy enough for me. Mm-hmm. She was just like a normal person. But then on the my second watch of the episode, I was like, she is a normal person. Right. Like her character yeah. is a normal like so, and that She's just trying to get by. Totally flipped it around on me. On, on I'm like just like this is somebody I could run into, you know, at the grocery mm-hmm. store yeah, the or whatever. Port. Yeah, at the spaceport or down at the cantina, yeah. you know. Playing Pro- cards with probably her it's probably down in Anchorage, just picking up some power converters. <sighs> no, but you gotta get those in Tashi Station. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Mike, what do you got for this episode? Uh, because I'm not a hardcore Star Wars fan, this was kind of a boring episode for me. It was on a boring desert planet with about four people. Um, (laughs) One of them has a mask, um, and then two of them die, so you don't even need to care about them. And then one's Amy Sedaris, who was the highlight of the episode for me. Um, She's a phenomenal comedian and um yeah every scene that she was in especially like the scene where she was carrying around yoda saying i'm gonna get him to get charged more because of you uh yeah i i loved everything about her character everything else about the episode uh less so um yeah uh unlike the previous episode where i said it was a filler episode but we got some character development that mattered this wasn't that because yeah. we killed off the two characters that we developed in this episode. Yeah. Um, so nothing matters except he got some money to fix his ship that was broken at the beginning of the episode. So nothing matters. Yeah. Um, which is fine. <laughs> um, it, uh, I mean, you know, you can develop Mando's character a little bit. You can show baby Yoda, which is adorable. So that helps people continue to watch the show. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of blah, um, as you know, I, I watched it for the actors that were in it as opposed to the substance of the episode. For sure. I think that's going to wrap up what we got for, uh, these three episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh, we'll come back and finish off the series, uh, very soon because I'm, I'm going to really try to push, push us through some of our backlog because we have, uh, good. We, we have, swoop, there it is. We've got a lot of stuff coming up that needs to get, you know, we need to fill up the backlog before we can even talk about, for example, Clone Wars, which mm. the final season is coming out at the end of February. So, uh, gotta get, gotta get on, on gotta Rest of Mando fast. and Resistance and then rewatching of um, episode nine. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta get on that. Mm. So plenty more to come. Uh, before we wrap up, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Saber Ohana podcast. That podcast is uh, by our friend Keith, who heads up the uh, Hawaii Saber Academy. And he was talking with us uh, before the holidays started, saying he was going to start soon. I think they're they just did their fourth episode, and uh, so just want to shout them out and say go ahead and check them out. Also, uh, the San Diego Sabres podcast is doing something of a soft reboot, so we're kind of doing a, a whole new, uh, going into a whole new way of doing it, and there are lots of big plans over there, so that's another one that you guys should feel welcome to check out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hoth Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. If you want to get a hold of us and ask us any questions, you can, or suggest an episode idea, you can get a hold of us at hothpod at gmail.com, tweet at us at the Twitters at hothpod, or visit our site, hothtopicspodcast.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Anything else before we wrap up completely? Gentlemen, I'm going to take that as a no. 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 All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. I've been Ian. I've just noticed that on Twitter, the following hashtags are trending. Justice for Han. Han is alive. Han is back. I've been very curious about what this was, and apparently has something to do with Fast and Furious 9. So... That was John. Mike's here as well. Thank you, everybody. The what? Thank you, everybody. We will see you next time. What a tragedy that line was. Have you heard the tragedy of trying to end this podcast? The wise. There's nothing wise about it. It's not possible to learn this power.